0: So I was on the elevator the other day and you know they have a little screen with news reports on it and they were talking about how uh, paper maps are making a comeback especially with the young, the younger generation of of young adults who have never ever had to use paper maps are starting to embrace and they're very curious about it, they're embracing it they they want to use paper maps when they're driving around what the hell are they doing up there? A lot of construction going on up there. But anyway, um, yeah, maps are coming back. And, uh, you know, I can definitely understand the appeal because there's a a lot of people out there that are younger that have grown up in a very different world than I grew up in. I, I was born in 1967. So I grew up with paper maps quite a lot. And, you know, when it comes to these particular, you know, methods or technologies, whatever you want to call it, you know, they have their charms, but there's a lot of annoyances as well. So there's a lot of these technologies that the younger people are sort of fascinated with and, and want to sort of use, like, like audio cassettes, things like that. I use audio cassettes so much and had to deal with their bullshit so much that I'm like t- – I'm tired and I still have to deal with cassettes because I have so many cassettes I still need to uh, transfer. But – I can understand the innocence of just looking at a cassette. Isn't this going to be great listening to it? And it was great. There was a lot of great things about it. But them breaking, them snapping. Oh my god! All sorts of problems. Those cases, you know, the little hinges breaking. Ugh! Just drives me crazy. Or like the, you know, like CDs with those jewel cases, and those little, the little hinges breaking. And y it still kind of works. You can still kind of close it, but it's busted. And. uh you know, even the even the folding thing. So the big thing with maps, of course, paper maps. Now, of course, there's book form, sort of like a, a What is it not an atlas, but a, a gazette? What do they call that? Uh, what's the name for that thing? It's just it's it's like a bunch of uh, maps in a book. What the hell is that called? An atlas, right? I think. But I'm talking about the paper maps, not obviously a book of maps, is made of paper. But the paper maps as a big piece of paper that's folded down into a rectangle, right? And uh, it's a lost world now, but basically um, uh, gas stations used to give them out for free. You went to like a Gulf or a Sunoco, Chevron, and they would have maps, and it was uh, like a free thing. They basically had their logo on the front of it, right? So it was a way that to sort of satisfy or entice the customers to come back to that gas station, give them a bunch of maps and they always had kind of kind of like this unified size at least in the US. I'm not sure exactly if it was like 9x4 or 8x4 whatever the the size of the map was. Uh everyone universally in their car in their glove compartment would have a bunch of these piled up, right? You may have gone on a trip to Connecticut and you had a Connecticut map in there that you got at the gas station on your way to Connecticut and there were just people everyone had a bunch of these maps, right? And um, one of the big annoyances was that uh, when you unfold the map, it's very easy to unfold the map because you just sort of follow the creases and unfold it, open it up. But then you're faced with this big the map at its largest size is if, if you were to count the rows and columns of the original size. It might be like 6x4 or 6x6, six six, you know what I'm saying? H- however many times you unfolded it, Now, there's all these creases, and it's not clear. If you were very observant, you could have observed or even written down the sequence in which you unfolded the map. But invariably, you're like, okay, now let's fold it back up. And you're like, wait, what? Which crease goes first and which? So you'll wind up folding it. You just fumble around, fold it back down, and it's like bulging because you didn't do it right. I mean, you might think that any way you do it is fine, but it's not, because those creases and everything was kind of like um, it was, you know, when it was manufactured, it was neatly folded by a machine, I would say, and then sort of pressed down. And if you do get it back, if you are able to fold it back up with the same sequence, it's almost like some freaking Rubik's Cube going on here. What's going on? Um, right? It's ni- It will be nice and flat, but then inevitably as I, as being kind of a klutz, always would just mess it up it was this big it was the same map but it was just bulging it was bulging and unpleasant you know oh my god look at that Amazon has like the Amazon Prime trucks it's a new futuristic looking uh, van delivery van it's like it looks like something that would have been made in like a an 80s movie a future delivery van It it does look very futuristic well we are in the future after all and the past Anyway, so I, I just, you know, I think it, it became kind of annoying to, uh, to have to deal with all these bulging maps and stuff. So I, that's the thing with all these technologies, like with the CDs, with, of course, getting scratched, those little, the little hinges breaking, and uh, the clear plastic getting, getting muffed up or mushed up, whatever. So it becomes, like, cloudy because all these little micro, uh, you know, scratches on it. And even in some cases, the same issue with sometimes the insert uh, in the in, in the jewel case for a CD is folded in a way where you, you try to fold it back up. And again, it's puffy. It's bulging. Oh, my God. It's annoying. <laughs> um, the sort of fragile physicality of all this stuff. So in a way, some of the digital stuff has sort of taken away the physical annoyances of these technologies. And I'd say even to a degree, you know, vinyl albums, though, they were a bit more forgiving in the sense that, um, right, a big cardboard sleeve that you slide the record in, but then there's that inner sleeve that kind of sometimes gets messed up, right? If if you sort of put the record in at a wrong angle, it can sort of slice the edge of it or something, you know? Yeah. And then I think the actual reading of the map as you're trying to, you know, look and where are you and, you know, how do you get to where you're going to go? I think sometimes you would resort to using a pencil or a pen to kind of put an X or figure out like where you're going because you have the whole big map to look at and you got to sort of focus in on where it is you're actually worried about going, right? And it's always, you know, you're sort of calculating. And this is what the, the computer does for you now on, on all the different map programs. You're like, I'm here and I want to get there. So, you know, you can kind of find the big highways between a point A and B. But then at the beginning of the trip, how do you get to that highway? And the end of the trip, all right, now I'm going to get off that highway and go to where I'm going. That's the toughest part of the trip, right, when you get off of the main road to where you're going and all those little side roads and stuff. I have to say that, you know, the the technology such as Google Maps, which I use a lot, uh, is just so incredibly better for doing the, the stuff of mapping and, and orientation and guiding you places. Uh, but I do enjoy a, a, a methodology of, of using Google Maps, which is to um, go just go on the website and uh, memorize a route to go somewhere, as opposed to just having it on my phone or whatever. Because, I don't know, like with the cars now, there's this... The cars... Some cars do have their own map built in but a lot of them just figure you can plug your phone in in some way, and then it'll, the phone will sort of be, take over the computer system on the car, and it just feels like there's too many things that can go wrong in that process. I don't really use that. If I have it, I just have it my phone like ne- awkwardly, like on my leg or something, or next to me. Um, I don't even have one of those little little phone holder things. If, if I have to navigate, because I can't really figure out how to make it work with the car. <laughs> so much stuff like. Trying to connect the Bluetooth from your phone to the car, like as many times as I've done it, it just seems like it never works. It works half the time. I'm not sure what the heck's going on, you know. But anyway, I like memorizing and then just going somewhere. Now, the memorizing involves uh, actually looking. Like you can zoom in and, and look at the intersections and look around. Oh, there's a gas station there, a bank, you know, a fence, and you can sort of memorize your way. You could never do that with one of those old-style maps. They don't have the actual images of the intersections, recent I- photos of the intersections. They don't have any of that stuff. You know, even uh, in, like, the Harry Potter, they had that Marauder's Map, a, a big paper map that was magic, so you could see yourself on the map and where you were. Well, that's what it is now on your phone or whatever. You just you bring up a map, and you see where you are on the map. It's like magic. Well, any sufficiently Advanced technology, yada yada, of course, as we said. Yes. Yeah. What are they doing over there? I think they're sanding or something. What the hell they're doing? Yeah, I think they're sanding. <laughs> what is it? One guy's sanding, like, the front porch area, and the other guy's, like, sucking or blowing some kind of... I think it's just an air blower to blow the, the sawdust away. I don't know. It's rather noisy, that's all I can say. But yeah, things have, things have been happening so fast that um, all of the, the technologies that I was so used to growing up, rotary telephones, you know, um, maps and cassettes and, you know, audio cassettes and so many other typewriters and all this other stuff, you know, it was all kind of cool. It was all purpose built for making these themselves were all amazing technologies, right? Um, that have since been supplanted with more digital and more advanced technologies, but there it's a very different feel, look, tone, and feel using those things. And I didn't use them because oh my god, this is cool. Because like, if you really wanted to go somewhere and you didn't know how to get there, you kind of had to have a map. You, you know, like you, there was no other way to do it. There was, you can stop and ask for directions, and you know, well, uh, yeah, you can't get there from here. Or these, you know, those endless. And I've done this too, people. There's people that pull. There's still people as I walk around. This has happened uh, fairly often. More, of course, when I was doing more walking around, people would pull up and like, "Hey, how do I get to Coles uh, or how do I get to Target?" Um, and I have to sort of resort to the, um, "Okay, you would go up that way and n- not the first left, but the second left. Take the second left, and then you go down and you'll see like a school on the right, and then wait for two blocks." And I know people aren't going to remember this. It's like it's very, <laughs> you know, but so there are still people. That I guess are driving around without a without a phone. Not everyone has a cell phone or a smartphone, and not every, and who has maps anymore. Where the hell are you going to get a map? So people are lost at this point. Like I think that might be the problem that people uh, that don't have uh, a phone or don't know how to use it, and uh, or haven't charged it, and they don't have any map. They just have to try to see if there's someone walking on the side of the road and ask them what the heck, where, the, how the heck they get to this certain place. But remember. This was a couple years ago. There was, Wasn't there a beauty contest? Did they still have those beauty pageants? I have not heard or seen any of them. In, but they used to be on TV, right? The, uh, Miss America used to be a big TV event. And I, th- I think they're still going. I'm not sure. Is it? I really don't know what the status of beauty pageants is anymore. Um, but there was one where one of the contestants was talking about maps. And she just was completely confused. Can I find that audio? Let me see if I can find it. Maps aren't easy for some people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a piece of paper, and the stuff, that, and, and, and the things that are in the world are on the paper but smaller. Is that a good way of describing a map? Not really, because it, c- it could be a jumble of anything, but it's, it represents, um, like if you were up in the air and looking down at the world, it represents what the world looks like from the air. I don't know. But not all maps are to scale. Like the New York City subway map is stylized, abstracted. So it's not a true map. It's just stylized in a way so they could fit all of the subway lines in a better way. Let me see if I can find that audio about maps. All right. So let's see. It was uh, Miss Teen USA 2007. Miss South Carolina answers the question about maps. Whoever this is, I mean, this is her claim to fame. How, no, how else would you know who she was?
1: Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have that. And uh, I believe that our ed- education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S., uh, or should help South Africa, and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries. So we will be able to build up our future for our-
2: Thank you very much,
3: South Carolina.
0: I, th- I thought you talked more about maps than that. Recent
1: polls,
0: have shown. Uh, <laughs> Recent polls have shown. So people, yeah, I mean, I, I've gone down, I, I, I mean, I'm a bit of a geography buff, and I know I could do better, but I can name all the states in the U.S. at least uh, on a map, but a lot of people can't. E- they are so un- unaware of geography they can't even find the United States on a map. I think we can only assume it's a failure of education. <laughs> the schools aren't teaching geography anymore. The uh, That's what she should have said. But what was all the South Africa stuff? Like people in South Africa have maps, and yeah, we <laughs> gotta help them with their maps. I think I got bigger problems out there than maps, but I... <laughs> it's tough, you know? People need to be educated, and they're not being educated anymore. More and more, the the subject comes up of, you know, the new, newly minted adults entering the workforce, and I'm hearing, uh, you know, from, because where I work, you know, people have to be pretty skilled to work there. You know, I work in the digital marketing aspect of a major corporation, so most of the people there are pretty with it, but... You know, my wife works in healthcare, and and you know, there's just a lot of people that, you know, they're they're sort of maybe it's their first job or the you know whatever. They just come out of the current education system, and it does seem that um, a lot of the stuff from school that we remember being mind-numbing, idiotic, like when when am I ever going to use calculus in my real life or algebra or. Right. People always say this, but I think that there that school is training people, um, not necessarily the specifics of, you know, the the memorized content, but more basic skills such as um, time management, problem solving. Right. Um, And I remember talking about this in the past, like witnessing like a coffee shop where. There's like eight people behind the counter, but there's a line a mile long and no one seems to know what to do, you know. Um, I think that the kind of education that was very common in this country in the past was um, sort of drilled into people uh, these basic skills for working, right? For example, people always want to sort of cut corners or cheat or, you you know, cramming for a test at the last minute or whatever. But all those things... Are aspects of problem solving, like the problem presented to you, is your schoolwork, right? And then how do you, how do you achieve it? How do you get through it, maybe in the easiest way possible? And you're sort of um, training people in how to approach uh, various, you know, tasks. Now, I, I understand that, you know, is this all we want? We want our our society sort of filled with these mindless jobs that people are working at coffee shops and stuff. Well, you know, I, I don't know. but And obviously, some people do get more out of it than others. But I think that now, right, there's people that are coming out of the current education system without, without those problem-solving skills or time management skills or whatever, and it's really starting to show. Now, along with that now, of course, AI... And I'm not really sure where we are with AI right now. It's in the news constantly. Uh, apparently, uh, Google has... Uh, Introduced the other day, their AI system called Bard, which is based on their Lambda system of natural language recognition. What is this freaking noise that's driving me crazy? How do they keep doing this? Of course, when I'm out here recording, they have. This is when they have to do the noisiest work. Anyway, their Bard system, which is supposed to compete with Open G, uh, Chat GPT, uh, I guess Microsoft bought that one, um, is basically. They did a demo, and it and it and it basically uh, gave a, gave a factually inaccurate answer, and and so their stock plunged. They lost a hundred million dollars in minutes be, in, in their stock because their their AI uh, system um, failed, right? Failed to give a, a proper answer. It was something about the current space telescope. What did it discover? And and it gave an inaccurate answer, right? Um, but what but I, what I was going to say was. A.I. on the rise um, will start to be able to do the work of the people who are now not well-educated enough to do the work. So it all sort of fits together in some sort of horrible way. But, um, yeah, this this latest uh, craze for... I wouldn't even call it a craze. The latest, uh, you know, this chat GPT, which I haven't played around with yet, as it's, it's something I'm very interested in, but it's... I don't know. As I mentioned recently, my whole... Uh, Experience with the AI image generators last year kind of really, at a very visceral level, really turned me off to the whole AI thing. But as far as I can understand, ChatGPT and Bard and all these other ones, they're not the singularity, the artificial general intelligence that the th- theoretically will change everything once they come about. But these are very advanced purpose-built AIs. That is, they have been built by people to perform a particular task, right, and that an AI, and even though it does seem that these are progr- built up with general knowledge and could be the precursor to the singularity or general artificial general intelligence, is not there yet, right? So the idea that, and I, and I think it would be a similar technique, but but what characterizes the next level is. Uh, a geometric progression of ca- of capacity or capability, which I don't think we're seeing yet with these. These are very advanced uh, purpose-built AIs and not the general intelligence, right? But as it's been in the news so much, and they've been floating these stories about how it's going to take away everyone's jobs and stuff, as if it's a bad thing, <laughs> you know. Well, maybe <laughs> it is a bad thing. I don't know. But if you were to look at the whole thing if you took a step back and looked at the whole thing, the computer is going to do all the work, and then we can just relax. And I know this is a whole, s- whole other topic. What are people going to do with their time, etc.? But it's just weird how the, sort of a, the failings of education producing wave after wave of less and less educated adults is sort of, ma- you can ma- map that against the rise of A.I., and uh, machines being able to do more and more of the work, right? Why are those two things, is it coincidental? Is it deliberate? Is it it a, a secret plan? Or is it just sort of some sort of weird understructure of reality that's sort of dumbing down people as computers are getting smarter? I don't know. I mean, when we talk about this, obviously, we're talking about you know at least here in the United States a public school education um, you know those are generally what we're talking about that are the, the standards are going down 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 I'm assuming private schools or many private schools or people that can afford it uh, kids are getting better educations and they are getting as good of an education as, as anyone got in the past uh, it's just in general right generalities and etc but I sort of feel like even the public school I went to and I was not a dedicated student. I was, you know, didn't find it all very pleasant at all going to school. But I think that it was a, a much more intense and much more functional education. But I do think this this topic extends beyond education, um, and I've, I, this is an angle I've t- I've talked about quite a bit. Um, Childhood in the past, in general, um, one of the central struggles as a, as a child is to be engaged and entertained, right? And because there's a desire to have fun, to be entertained. Back when you know, many you know huge gulf of time up to when I was born, but when I was born, um, you want to be entertained, and What you had around you in the house, right, was a television, but it was before cable. And a lot of times there wasn't anything that interesting on. So if you really wanted to watch TV, you had to flip around the channels until you found something that was the most entertaining of all the stuff that was on, because there was not children's entertainment all the time, right? It was Saturday mornings, maybe after school in the afternoons, but a lot of times you would turn the television on and there was like nothing really meant for children on tv that kids would find kind of boring news programs etc and you would just watch whatever was the best out of you know when i was growing up we had about seven channels that would come in that were options that we could watch right the three major networks right that's three and pbs we had channel 13 and then we also could you know we also were sort of we could get some Philadelphia stations, New York and Philadelphia stations, where I was in New Jersey. But generally, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, right, that's four. And then we had um, the local New York-based independent channels, 5, 9, and 11, as we had, you know, N-E-W, W-O-R, and P-I-X. And um, that was it. So... There also were in your house, uh, you know, a radio, maybe a record player, eight track tapes, cassettes, books. You know, your own books, your parents' books, etc. And with this constant hunger for engagement, entertainment, um, children were developing strategies of how to find something interesting, inventing games, going outside, going outside to play, and inventing games. I would always love going to the the library at my school or the county library and just wandering through those stacks, um, finding what things that might interest me. So this process of um, having to develop strategies to obtain entertainment and stimulation, right, is very similar to what I was talking about. You develop these problem-solving skills naturally. Uh, So it's not just that you're... uh, in this process, as I'm talking about, the kind of information that you encounter is serendipitous, and a lot of you you encounter a lot of information via TV shows, random books, stuff you find in the library, etc. You're getting a much broader education uh, and lots and lots of information that you wouldn't normally get if getting uh, entertainment is so easy. So what happened is. Right. Starting with cable television, there's now children dedicated channels and then developing it now more recently to the tablets and the phones where a child can get satisfactory uh, entertainment, stimulative entertainment um, very easily. Right. And it's it does satisfy that the child's need for entertainment, but it's easy to get. You're not de- developing problem-solving skills or curiosity. You're just getting it immediately. And the the, the band, it's a much na- more narrow band of information. You're not really, like if there's nothing on TV, you have to watch like the McNeil-Lair report or something. It's like, oh my God. But you watch it and you're picking up so much information. As a child, you have this incredible, you you absorb information like a sponge. And uh, even stuff that you might find boring, you're being informed about such a huge range of information. You're watching those, to an adult perspective, mind-numbing, uh, stupid cartoons that are very satisfying to a child's mind. Um, so I think the idea is beyond the education, just the natural process of your relationship with information around you. Uh, you you sort of have a, now, a an easy... Uh, infinite amount of childlike entertainment and it's changing right when those people become adults they have been fed this diet of uh, you know sort of bland children's entertainment that was easy to get and that I think would be another facet of uh, what has happened which of course is uh you know there's a phenomenon that has been around, but it's getting much worse when i you talk to someone who is an adult but they're younger about any kind of pop culture references some people just don't know have not heard of anything that you feel should be super familiar because of of this matter and uh I suppose you don't have to know about you know old t v shows to be a fully-rounded individual, but it doesn't hurt, you know? It doesn't hurt to know about this stuff. And I think it just in general, like, if I hear about something that I'm not familiar with, something is triggered in my mind, and I'm like, oh, man, I want to know about that. So that curiosity and that investigative bent, right, that I think one develops in childhood continues in adulthood, and and you continue to want information and want to understand things and want to be familiar with things. Whereas if if you had a completely different style of relationship with information, you may hear about something and then not even care to know more about it. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think about it. What the hell's going on in the world? Which does beg the question, if if what I'm talking about is, I mean, this is just my personal theory about it, but if you could kind of demonstrate it, don't, I mean, uh, how did this all come to be? Is it that people don't care if the new adults are, how they, you know, what their capacities are? Was it just that the situation as it was previously was, uh, it was only a side effect that people. Be, you know, grew up with an investigative bent, but that was not considered important one way or the other. Because what could be done now? I have seen over and over again that uh, you know parents are you know only too happy to give their kid a a tablet with little cartoon games and stuff on it, just to keep them quiet. But would there be any concern towards how that's affecting, how, how it'll affect them once they've grown up? Or an entire society where people have been deprived of this seemingly essential um, developmental aspect? Do, maybe will there come a time when this will be considered at a higher level a national level and there will be but how would you enforce it how would you impose it you know uh, create a whole new kind of system on computer tablets for children that somehow required more investigation to get the thing does it right It kind of seems very hard to it all worked it all worked out in the past but Now that there's these um, vastly different and sort of made more efficient methods of uh, entertaining children, that it's removed this huge aspect of uh, curiosity and investigation, how do you get it back? And I think you could probably say all all of these previous technologies that had some kind of inconvenience related to them using them affected the user, right? So all, you know, typewriters and paper maps and vinyl record players and everything else uh, just sort of uh, had sort of unintended positive side effects on the users. (laughs) Yeesh. But where do we go from here? Good question. But, of course, as such things are, I'm sure that um, someone who grew up in times previous to mine probably looked at my upbringing and made the same comments and complaints as to what we lost, because I grew up with a great deal of technology and easy living. You know, there were no wars or anything or no, like, I mean, Vietnam was going on when I was a kid, but, you know. It wasn't like a world war or something. but Anyway, uh, they probably were saying the same thing. Like our upbringing back in the 30s, the 1930s was so superior. <laughs> anyway, it does make me think about what I was talking about yesterday, uh, last episode about uh, the theory of uh, the iterative dimension, right? The idea that certainly very speculative theory that uh, the – purpose of this particular world we're living on is to create things that are interesting or pleasing, that, that, that this whole world is something of a work of art, and that um, if you look at the seeming acceleration of technological advancement and cultural advancement, such as, for example, the, looking at the 20th century, the rapid-fire uh, sequence of musical genres that were uh, dominant. Uh, Just an incredible explosion like fireworks of music of all these different facets starting with marches and ragtime and uh, what do they call it, Uh, minstrel show music, one of the more unfortunate aspects of our history, but um, into uh, the development of jazz and then, you know, rock and roll, electronica, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Rap, hip hop, etc., and IDM, intelligent dance music, such as Boards of Canada. Um, but the idea that, like, why was there such a huge, uh, relatively quickly in 100 years? Look at all the stuff that happened. And I would think that if you went back and took a random 100 years from the past, like third to fourteen hundred. Was there that much change going on in music? Maybe there was. I don't know. Um, that, uh, in 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 the sense of this theory, um, right? The idea is that um, if there was an original twentieth century, that it's been uh, shaped and uh, altered through. A huge number of sequ- a sequence steps of iteration that is maybe the first 20th century was extremely boring and nothing really happened and that through these iterations which would be directed in some way deliberate direction um you you start getting a more and more interesting 20th century right so you might say if Uh, Everyone was living in harmony all over the world and there was a certain kind of music that people liked and they didn't really want to change it. You might imagine it would be the same series of years but a previous iteration, things just being rather boring and that through manipulation of the time stream, let's say, or manipulation of reality, um, changing the, uh, the, what's the right way of putting it, changing the Um, parameters behind the scenes to uh, cause things to become more and more interesting, right? That eventually we got to the 20th century that we know, which is quite interesting, incredibly interesting, Um, so much pleasing and interesting stuff in there. And perhaps this is, um, what iteration is this? Are there iterations to come or did we reach a kind of sweet spot is the 20th century that we we as we know it when you were to, if you were to apply innumerable iterations that was the best we could get and uh right and then the past that led up to it and the future that tra- uh, trails off from it are not really as important as the as achieving a, a supreme interestingness in in a period of time right So, to say that where we're facing now is the aftermath of that, it's sort of like uh, to achieve that level of interestingness, it may cause a, which involves seemingly the aspect of rapid fire change in technology and culture, society, politics, everything, right? That if that aspect achieved that supreme interestingness in in the 20th century that you might imagine um, the whole thing just sort of collapsing like a house of cards afterwards. (laughs) Is that what we're seeing now? But it's worth it because of how cool the 20th century was. Listen, this is all speculation. But anyway, I mean, if you were to just look at... uh, our understanding of human history and um, how much of it based on our understanding would be incredibly boring and tedious that we're living in this most interesting of times is it just random or is it because we are the observers and we seek out things that are interesting and pleasing to us since we as cosmic beings are don't want to waste our time with you know boring worlds We want interesting ones <laughs> seems very indulgent seems very decadent actually great great amount of cosmic decadence yes anyway as an example perhaps of this uh i don't know when it was a few months ago i was talking about my struggle with new age music um the idea that um that there's a certain type of new age music that is really that I really like but then when I look for new age music it's all stuff like Anya and stuff it all kind of sucks and my my vision or my dream was for uh some kind of a uh, a new age shop in the 1990s and they're playing a new age album as background music in their sh- in their store and it was just like the coolest thing and I was searching that out and I really had trouble finding anything I think I as I recall I found something but uh since then I did a- arrive at the perfect album that I was looking for and this is Beyond the Storm by Edgar Froza from 1995 I'm listening to it today let's see It's it's every single song is quite different so it's hard to Give an example, just based on one song here, "The Light Cone." This is the first song on disc two, but this album is utterly fits the bill, as it has a new age aspect, but it's endlessly interesting. But it but it's it satisfies my vision for the background music in a new age shop in the nineteen nineties. Yes, I'm, I'm so glad I finally found it. What I was looking for. Here's what it says on uh, some website here, the, and and uh, so this will explain what's going on. Who Edgar Froza is? Who died actually a couple years ago, the founder of Tran- Excuse me. Try it again. The founder of Tangerine Dream, Edgar Froza, takes the best tracks from his solo albums throughout the '70s and '80s, and conveniently lines them up on the double disk Beyond the Storm. As is Tangerine Dream's music, the album is overflowing with gleaming synthesizer and pulsing rhythms, including tracks from Aqua, Epsilon, and Macula Transfer. This hefty collection of atmospheric keyboard passages is both alluring and complex in nature. Froza uses the Mellotron to sketch scenic musical portraits of far-off landscapes and electronic voyages, each with its own placid mood. No tempos are alike on each of the 28 tracks, and some beautiful music is conjured up beneath the the overlying uh, keyboard runs as fans of Vangelis will enjoy themselves here, any fans of Vangelis will enjoy themselves here as the swirl and radiance of the synthesizer is employed to its full extent. And it didn't say it here, but um, one of the aspects of this is that many of these tracks have been edited. Revised Shortened or lengthened Or changed From his original solo albums And so He is the He is the Tangerine Dream guy So I mean That's his main thing But um, The Solo albums were Sort of a side thing for him And then this Was like This massive collection Let me just play a few Random tracks here Just a second. Right Magic Lantern I like this title, Moonlight on a Crawler Lane.
3: Metropolis.
0: Bobcats in the Sun. (laughs) Ah, this is just... This music just perfectly satisfies my vision of what I wanted. Now I can sit and pretend I'm in a new age store in the 1990s. And, you know, that might not appeal to some people, but I just sort of, it just, it's just a vision in my mind, a dream of the perfect background music for a store like that. Yeah, I remember New Age stores like, uh, what was it? Well, Star Magic was, was like my favorite one in New York City. Um, that place had so much cool stuff. Holograms and tarot cards and all sorts of fun stuff. It was right there on Broadway, near 8th Street. And they had a couple other locations as well. They played that kind of music. I'm thinking of it a little earlier, though. I think I'm, I'm thinking about it more in the 80s. But you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. Oh, um... Here's a, uh... Here's a... Here's a... <laughs> a random... A random discovery I made today. Uh which feels a little bit like something that maybe didn't exist before, (laughs) but uh, it feels a bit iterative. Is this going to be the new word? It feels a bit iterative. Um, Dolly Madison, right? Dolly Madison was a a snack cake that, as I recall, was not particularly prevalent in the supermarkets of my youth. Uh, We definitely got the hostess stuff, the big wheels, the Twinkies, and Devil dogs and and do, y- you, yo 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 hos hoo hoohos what are those called? You know all of the, the all those kind of snacks, Drakes and Hostess, but occasionally you'd get Dolly Madison, and the main way we knew about Dolly Madison was because they sponsored all of the animated Peanuts specials on TV. You know Charlie Brown, Snoopy, and all the rest, um, and. It always gave me a slightly weird feeling because the Dolly Madison logo is this kind of weird orange and pink, almost like the Dunkin' Donuts colors, stylized, this stylized woman character, Dolly Madison. Um, Oh, here's an ad. This this fall, Dolly Madison will co-sponsor all three Peanuts specials, and that means increased sales and profits for you. Stock up and stay tuned for a high-profit fall with Dolly Madison and the Peanuts Kids. I doesn't see what year this is from, but it's in the seventies. Let's see, October twenty eighth, you're a good sport, Charlie Brown. November twenty second, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and December fifteenth, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Of course, the, the best of the best. Um. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from this page that I found. Uh, there's three different versions. There are the uh, Dolly Madison Razzies, raspberry-flavored cakes. And I kind of remember these. It was just sort of like this this white, like flaked coconut uh, on top of this sort of r- red material. It's supposed to be like a raspberry and whatever the cake's inside. So Razzies with Lucy on the cover there, the cover art. And then you have Cuckoo's with Charlie Brown. And then finally with Linus on the cover— Dolly Madison Googles. Googles! I had no memory of this. And I and I know I've gone down the Dolly Madison rabbit hole in the past as well. I never encountered Googles. Now, obviously, the word Google is not, you know, we know the company Google started, what, in 2005. But, of course, 100 years earlier, give or take <laughs> a few decades, uh, Mr. Barney Google was a, com- a very popular comic strip character, including... The song "Barney Google" with the "goo goo googly eyes," Barney Google, and his racehorse sparkplug too. You know, Barney Google. Uh, you know, was a comic strip character, but then they introduced a hillbilly named Snuffy Smith to the to the comic, and then you know, there's been this endless. We've we've analyzed this. A certain part of the 20th century, there was an obsession with hillbillies. And so Barney Google fell into uh, obscurity while Snuffy Smith and his wife Louise uh, took over the comic strip and the poor guy Barney Google was vanished. But he's come back a few times in past couple years, I, I, past decades, uh, I know that Barney Google shows up once every couple years in the comic strip. And that's also where the mathematician, his grandson suggested the word Google for this very large number and that may have uh, inspired Google the company but anyway Dolly Madison Googles I have no memory of that that feels like an altered reality man Okay, iterative so in this case right the next version of the 20th century was sort of plastered over the old one and now all these websites showing scanned images from the 1970s are from that new 1970s the new iteration of the 1970s Including the new Googles. <laughs> making, even making more interesting snacks as each version of the 20th century is slathered over the, the previous one. I like, I like that theory, actually. Listen, there's no proof it's real. It just is what it is. What is this, a commercial? Dolly Madison Cuckoos? What is this? Hi,
4: we've asked people to taste this neat, tweet treat from Dolly Madison.
2: Great, what do you call them?
4: Cuckoos. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I should find taste in cupcake. What's it
4: called? Cuckoos. Move along. Cuckoo. Delicious devil's food with chocolate, gold cake with vanilla cream centers.
2: Unforgettable. What do you
4: call that? Cuckoo. Forget it. Cuckoos. A neat to eat treat from Dolly Madison.
0: So this completely is like a. Oh my Remember god. the name. Forget the name. I have. This is not. This was not existent. I have researched Dolly Madison so much in the past. Never ran into cuckoos or googles or any of this crap. Okay. This is, let us say, clues about the iterative nature of our reality. And I'd. Hey, you know, if they keep adding more stuff in the past that make it more and more interesting and more and more pleasing, yes, it's frightening, on a cos- in a cosmic sense. But it's kind of groovy. It's kind of groovy. <laughs> No? It's a bit groovy. Anyway, also last night, another um, pep, what I'm calling past editing paranoia, whatever. Another one happened.
3: There's been a lot lately.
0: I, th- I, th- I think this is, this is a big major update. This is like, you know, some of the updates are ver- version 4.0.1. No, this is all the way to version 5 or whatever. You know, this is like a whole new version of, of the 20th century. I've been noticing a lot of these um, changes, seemingly, in the past. Um, and they come in waves, and there's been a big wave lately. Um, as you may know, um, my wife's favorite musician is Jack White of The White Stripes, and then he also has a solo career. Uh, but we, I feel like we have... Um, been extremely familiar with everything the White Stripes ever did. And by the way, they are now up for uh, being uh, – they've been nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I really – I mean, if anyone, they were sort of the vanguard of of rock and roll around the turn of the millennium, 99, 2000, 2001, that time period. Um, So – Okay, so what happened was my wife, Denise, saw that there's going to the band, the Yeah, Yeah, Yes, who, coincidentally, have an album, I believe, called Maps <laughs> uh, that is actually co- synchronistic. Um, we saw them once at Irving Plaza in uh, New York City in the early 2000s. Anyway, they're going to be going on tour, and their two dates in Texas— um, the Faint, a band from Omaha, Nebraska, that kind of has a, a, a neo new romantic vibe to it, almost like slightly Duran Duran ish vibe, but not quite. Uh, the Faint, if you've ever heard of them, they're pretty good. They're going to open for the for the Yeah Yeah Yes. So we were thinking about possibly going to Texas in May, but I don't know if we're going to go. I mean, I like those bands. I don't know that I'm like so into them that I want to go to Texas, but going to Texas has its own charms beyond seeing the actual music. They're actually playing at the same place uh, in Irving, Texas, this this music pavilion place, Toyota Music Pavilion, whatever, that we were going to go to last May, May 2022, to go see Jack White perform there, but we got COVID and we didn't go. So weirdly, the next May, we're going to try to—it's almost like weird repeating patterns of history— Anyway, so when I got home, I actually went to New York yesterday. I have to tell you about some things that happened in New York yesterday. I didn't record yesterday in New York. I felt like, you know, I don't have to record every time I go into New York, you know, if I'm going to be doing it weekly now, you know. Anyway, uh, so she was listening to Yeah, Yeah, Yes. And um, if you want to hear one of their biggest songs, it's called Black Tongue. You can take your black tongue. Right. Boy, you're just a stupid bitch, and girl, you're just a no good dick. Very, very somewhat offensive music, yes. Anyway, Karen O oh is the name of the singer. Um, I don't know if she was half Korean. That's interesting because there was an article, there was an issue of Rolling Stone. You know, I, I get Rolling Stone. I don't know if it's still month, monthly or bi weekly, whatever it is. My mother in law, my wife's mother, at some point in the 80s, uh, got a lifetime subscription to Rolling Stone for X, whatever it was. You could get a lifetime subscription for some like $200 or something back then. That was a lot of money back then, but um, I forget what it was. So she still gets it. It's not a magazine that I would ever seek out in any way, shape, or form because it's pretty crap now. Shindig is the best magazine. I, I, I subscribe from Britain. It's expensive, but it's so worth it. The best music magazine ever. Yes, paper, physical magazines are still big. I, just, I have the issue right here that I just got with the Catano, Veloso, and Gilberto Gil. <laughs> I know I didn't <laughs> pronounce that properly. You know, the Brazilian tropicalia scene. Yeah. Anyway, um, so she was listening to Yeah, Yeah, Yes. And then it's so annoying, like some of the music services, when the album's over, they don't tell you or they don't repeat the album. You just start playing other stuff that's related. So it started playing this song... I was walking with the ghost. And I'm like, I know I've heard that song. And I looked it up, and it was by Tegan and Sarah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that was a cover, right? Someone else did that. And I was sort of thinking, um, I know there was a an album that was covers of uh, 13th Floor Elevator songs. And there was a song called something about a ghost. Oh, If You Have Ghosts. I don't know if i was confusing them but i was walking with a ghost and i'm like yeah yeah that was a a cover but then i looked it up and no it was a tegan and sarah original i'm like wait a minute no that no no that wasn't their song that was someone else's song but now it's their song see maybe maybe the group that originally did it got edited out of reality and now the cover version became the actual version is that how this works no it doesn't work it's all just a it's a very it's a very far out theory it's not anything that that's proven or is it no it's not this iterative theory is not proven anyway so i looked it up and then i saw the white stripes did a did a released a version of walking with a ghost i'm like on their on on their walking with a ghost ep and i told my wife and she's like and we're like no um that We have no memory of that, no recollection of that. In 2005, they released an EP of Walking with the Ghost? I'm like, no. But we found it. It was on a YouTube. And indeed, there's Jack White singing, I was walking with the ghost. I'm like, what the hell? Where did this come from? We should have known about this. Yet another example of a pep, past editing paranoia. Um, these things are coming rapid fire lately. I'm telling you. And, uh... I know it's easy to poo-poo it as a bunch of mumbo-jumbo and, oh, Frank, you're just, you're getting older, you're losing your memory, you're just too focused on, you want to have these weird cosmic theories all the time. I'm telling you, I understand that, I get it, but this phenomenon is so weird and so mysterious, and I've been talking about it for years now. And a lot of people are talking about it under the guise of the Mandela effect. It's just something that's been happening more and more. So it's only natural to try to come up with theories, as I I am a bit of a theorist. (laughs) I I have a lot of theories, um, to try to figure it out. And I think the iterative theory is, well, at least it's bringing some kind of a positive spin to the whole thing, you know. A lot of people will say, "Oh, the Illuminati are trying to take over reality by using the Large Hadron Collider in Europe to alter reality to their liking because they're evil." Well, maybe it's not all evil. Maybe they're trying to make things more interesting, you know. But anyway, that was quite a pep, quite a pep. Let me find it here. Yeah, it's here. It's on YouTube. And
5: every single morning, I take a cannabis gummy and go for a walk. They had to beep out the word cannabis.
0: Really, yeah, there's weird rules now on these video sites, like you can't say certain words. This video was posted sixteen years ago. White Stripes walking with a ghost. We never heard of this. We were not familiar with it in the least. uh yeah, and it's, there's a lot of silence at the beginning. A ghost. And as this was so long ago now that we're so far in the future, someone's like, I remember listening to this as a kid with my dad. (laughs) Yes, because people are listening to stuff as a kid. Oh, my God. (laughs) Even though it was 2005, they were kids back then. That's how reality works. Anyway, yeah, it's a good song. I I remember I got into Tegan and Sarah real early. I was into them before anyone. Well, they had one good album. I don't know whatever happened to Tegan and Sarah. Are they even a household name? I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, all this stuff happening, man. Layer upon layer of new versions of events. Each new one more interesting than the last. But I guess you could go too far and... Right, no matter how you're trying to make it more interesting, it just becomes less interesting. That probably does happen eventually. But I do think this time period of, right, where, as I do every day, reflection on, rewatching, relistening, rereading, or finding out new stuff that I missed because obviously one person can only experience so much in the 20th century, and I missed a lot of it as I was only born in the uh, after after it was two thirds over, almost exactly, right. Sixty-six, yeah, thirty-three, sixty-six, ninety-nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other news, uh, the toilet is clogged. We've been having—we had pretty good luck with this, you know. We've been living here for what three over three and a half years now, three almost. Yeah, wow, over three years, and haven't had any particular issues like that. But of course, when you're a homeowner, it's your own responsibility to deal with it. Um. And uh, just the toilet was backed up. So I, I figured you just need a plunger. I haven't used a plunger that much in my life, but you just stick it in the toilet and you, you plunge. And the sort of that suction power just kind of like clears the clog, right? Um, and I could have sworn we had a plunger. I remember at some point in the past that we had a plunger in the bathroom, but it may have been years ago. So I looked around and I'm like, yeah, no, I can't find a plunger. So rather than go out to the store and buy a plunger, which during when I'm working at home, my wife is working at her workplace. So I don't have a car. So, you know, Um, I figured I would just order it from Amazon same day delivery. Is that too convenient? So arriving between 5 and 10 p.m. will be a plunger. I actually bought two because you need to spend twenty five dollars to two pack of plungers. I don't know if I need more than one plunger, but whatever, I'll have a spare plunger. Um, and I've been sort of trying to... I can flush it without it going over, because every time I flush it, it kind of, eh, I don't know, it's kind of nasty in there. Um, all right, I'm not going to push it. I've been trying to flush it to see if it'll go down. Let me try it one time here. No, okay. Nah, it's not working. No, at least it's not going over. I hope it's not going over. No, okay, yeah. This needs to be plunged, so later on I'll be doing some plunging. Luckily, each of the three floors of my house, the main floor, the basement, and the upstairs, each has a bathroom, so there's no lack of bathrooms for bathroom usage purposes. But uh, yeah, anyway. Wish me luck on my plunger activities. I think it'll work. Hopefully it'll work. I hope it comes close. I'd like to get it over with. Well, It might come as late as 10 p.m. There'll be some late night plunging. Come on. Yeah. So yeah, I went into work in New York City yesterday and didn't record. Started off, I went to the bus stop and uh, figured I would check the app to let me know when the next bus was coming. I, I should have arrived with Plenty of time to get the what is it, eight twenty nine. And the app's like okay, the next bus that's coming is in twenty five minutes. Like, what the hell? Did I miss did I miss the uh the bus? 'Cause you know last time I went into New York the bus came super early. I think I was recording at that point. Remember the bus came like ten, fifteen minutes early? I'm like, oh god, did that happen again? What the hell? So I sort of resigned myself, okay, I'll stand here for twenty five minutes, whatever. <laughs> and then <laughs> a few minutes later the uh, the app said, "Oh no, okay, yeah, the bus is coming now." What the hell? People rep- rep- uh, depend on these apps, and it and it and it just causes un like in the old days without the app, you just stand there, and if a bus you just randomly wait till a bus comes. This app, when it's accurate, it's good, but it's just it can cause all sorts of stress. Yeah. Anyway, it was a normal trip in and. uh Lunchtime, I, I figured, you know what? It's been a long time. I'm going to go over to the Health Nuts. Now, if you've been listening to my show for a long time, you probably are very familiar with the Health Nuts. It's a health, health food store over on 2nd Avenue around 45th Street-ish, give or take. And it is a wild place, right? I, I used to work a bit closer to there. And you can go over there and uh, they have uh, you can get lunch. I used to go there when I was just vegetarian. And then when I turned vegan in 2018, I would go there, of course. And uh, you could either wait on the line and get some hot food, which there was good stuff. But I sort of gave up on that because the line was so long. It was so expensive. And at times, if you went there later, like around 3 o'clock, you could get the, the what was the rest of the hot food for like half price. That was kind of cool. But they also had those great prepackaged foods. Those uh, Singapore rice noodles and all sorts of... Remember that salad with the, the the tofu and the lima beans and the corn? Oh, my God. I also used to get kombucha there. Remember GT's kombucha before they changed the formula? It was so explosive. I would often go and sit either at Tudor City Greens or at Dog Commerce Guild Park. I have such fond memories of that insane kombucha where if you opened it up, it would just explode like you're opening one of those trick cans where a snake flies out. So you had to just barely crack it, and it starts going, right, sputtering all over the ground. But it's so good. It was so tasty. And then they had to change the formula because, um, you know, kombucha is a fermenting process. So uh, apparently Whole Foods caused a big stink. That's one of their big distributors. So like, listen, this has too, uh, too high of an alcohol content. We tested it. And GTS was like, well, yeah, if you store it improperly, if you don't refrigerate it, yes, it'll have higher alcohol content. But they didn't care, so they changed the formula. It was was never the same after that. Uh, Health Nuts was a wild place. Like, uh, as some people mentioned in their reviews, and I noticed as well, the employees that worked there – seemed to, like, they always had, like, the same people there year after year after year, decade after decade. Some people felt, like, observed, they almost were, like, cult members. They were, like, stuck in some sort of weird cult and forced to work at this health food store. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that or what happened. But then there was a an incident a while back where I think I heard that some people that worked there had, had a big uh, – conflict with the owners and they decided to go across the street and open their own health food store. So it was across, it was down a block and across the street and it was originally called Health Health Harvest. So they, they wanted to create a competing health food store. There's all this drama with the health nuts. Now, apparently there is still another one. There's another one up on 68th Street, but I'm not going to go up there. It's too far up. So anyway, it's a place I used to go. I used to get tea there. I used to get, there was those, remember those great snacks, those Govinda... It was almost like Slim Jims, but vegan with like seaweed wrapper and some sort of mash inside. I haven't seen those in a long time, but I have such fun memories of this place. They even made a seating area and I sat in there a few times. What a classic place. What a unique place. And uh, so I'm like, listen, I got to go back over there. I haven't been there in a while. I mean, I think I've been there since the pandemic, but went over there and I approached the store and I see this sign, everything in store, 40% off. I'm like, wait, wait, what? wait that can't be good we're having a big sale what's going on so i walk in and the first moment i'm in there it looks kind of normal then as i as i walk further back in the place the whole place is completely like changed there's just like empty shelves and they've rearranged the products. so i guess it looks like yes they're shutting down and just trying to blow out the rest of their products at 40 percent off was so disoriented. I went to the back. Everything was still, you can still walk back there, but it was all, everything was gone. Oh, my God. So I went up to the guy. I'm like, hey, so you're closing down. He's like, yeah, you know. I'm like, are you moving or you just, no, we're closing. I mean, but there's still the other one. Yeah, up on 68th Street. And it, so, like, you're going to be open a little bit longer, a few weeks. He's like, no, maybe one more week and that's it. And this is one of the guys that's been there for, like, ever since I remember going there. I'm like, all right, thanks. At least I got to see it one last time. <laughs> it's so sad. The Health Nuts is gone. But at least I got to see it. I, I mean, I, I, if I hadn't gone then, I, I mean, by next week, it would have been closed. How depressing. The Health Nuts, one of my favorite stores ever. Gone. Gone. They seem to survive the whole pandemic and now they're, now they're shutting down. The hell. Anyway. So I'm like, where the hell am I going to get lunch now? So I went over to... Um, what was actually pretty close was Urban Space, uh, with the, the uh, Vanderbilt one. The one that's by the MetLife building there. I figured I'd go to Plant Junkie. Remember the last time I went to Plant Junkie, though? I got that giant hamburger and that mass amount of french fries. It was just too much food. And the hamburger was damn messy. You know, good. it was good stuff, though. So I'm like, maybe I'll just get, like, the fries and one of the other sides or something. Oh, but I'm like, wait a minute, there's that banh mi place, or bon, right, you know, those Vietnamese sandwiches, banh mi. Last time I was there, which was just a week or two ago, I'm like, yeah, they had a vegan banh mi sandwich, and uh, maybe I'll get that instead of going to Plant Junkie. So I go over there. The entire stand, the banh mi place, was completely gone, vanished, as if it was never there. I'm like, what the hell? Things are closing at a breakneck base at this point. So I'm like, all right, let me go to Plant Junkie, and I'm trying to interpret their menu. I'm like, what? They have all these side side options, and the guy's like, "Can you need any help?" I'm like, "No, no." I'm like, "Well, they listed like um, they had uh, red curry tofu." I'm like, "Well, if I got a red curry tofu side, like how uh, how big is that?" I couldn't really. He's like, "Well, he really couldn't." He's like, "It goes in a container." I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, all right, let me get the uh, red curry tofu, and uh, let me get tater tots, and uh, he's like, well, if, if you're doing all sides, you could get four sides and make your own custom bowl. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds good. So I'm like, let me get the red curry tofu, golden tater tots, um, cold peanut noodles, and Thai cabbage slaw. So <laughs> I got all that. My God, it was incredible. It was the best lunch ever, right? It was not too much. It had a ton of those amazing tater tots and all the other stuff mixed in. The tofu was like fried tofu with like a crispy outside um, with some of this uh, red curry sauce over it and the cabbage slaw and the peanut noodles. Oh, my God. It was amazing. Horribly expensive, of course, but damn, I think I found my new favorite lunch. That was good. (laughs) Anyway. The rest of the day went by without incident. And uh, I walked back to the Port Authority bus terminal. I went to the bathroom. You know, usually it's good to go to the bathroom before you get out on the bus. Um, And uh, standing at the urinal, a guy next to me was, like, blasting music. He must have had some sort of portable stereo or boombox in his backpack, really loud. And um, the song sounded pretty good, actually. And I'm like, first I was thinking, like, how do you get to the point that you feel like you could just walk around a bus terminal, like, blasting music? Like, I feel like if I was doing that, I would get, like, jumped by the police and wrestled to the ground and, and arrested. But people just do it. They have blasting music in their backpack and as if, like, you know what I mean? And I, I guess, realistically, the police or the security people have have bigger fish to fry. Just let it go. It was amazing. But anyway, I'm like, you know, let me uh, whip out my phone and uh, do a little Shazam and see what this song was, right? So I actually now have the song the guy was playing blasting in the bathroom. <laughs> no one's even to care about. Oh, and by the way, um, as I walked in, the janitor uh room was opened and one of the the janitor guy was sitting there with the most depressed expression on his face. I mean, he looked so utterly depressed. As if he was just realizing he's the guy that has to clean this disgusting bathroom every day constantly. I felt so bad for the guy. But remember, I think that was the exact same spot. Remember back in the Rampler days, I um, remember I—I I don't know if it was a guy that worked there. I think it was that would just endlessly talk about all this like weird, like gross stuff. And I did record him at one point. Ah, and it's somewhere in the archive. Anyway, the song was, <clears throat> let's see, No Te Veo by Casa de Leones. No Te Veo by Casa de Leones. Let's see if we can hear this. This is not a group I have heard of at all. Casa de Leones, a House of Lions, No Te Veo, I Don't See You, something like that. But here it is, Warner Brothers' uh, official music video on YouTube, Casa de Leones, No Te Veo. And we can check this out here. 29 million views. So I guess this is a popular song. People are saying this is reggaeton. So all the comments are in Spanish. We can translate it here. How many would like to go back in time? So I guess this came out in 2009 or 2007 or something. What were some of the other comments? Those who go to 2023, this hard time theme... This hard-to-hard theme, remembering our childhood. So again, all these people were little children in 2009 or 2007. We had the best time of reggaeton. Those of us who were teenagers at the time. Listening to these songs is like going back in time. Times when many of us left our neighbors deaf by listening at full volume. Heard it in 2007 when I was 17. Now I'm 33, and it's just like I heard it—how time flies. Well, everyone was like little kids when this song came out in 2007, 2006, 2007, and the beginning of 2008—the best period of reggaeton. I actually used to like reggaeton. I used to listen to a reggaeton uh, radio station a little, uh, here and there. So this is a guy. Just imagine—I'm in the—I'm—I'm ba- I'm at the urinal, and uh, right next to me, the guy to the right was blasting this song on his on uh, his backpack. Casa de Leones, not bad. Good stuff, right? <laughs> See, you learn new things every day, even in the bathroom. In other music news, Bert Bacharach is dead at age 94. Uh, I don't know if I knew he was still alive, but yeah, 94 is not bad. Uh, Bert Bacharach, of course, wrote all these songs, but there, recent, in recent history, I was uh, very much re- I was researching Anthony Newley which is – my brother is also uh, getting into Anthony Newley now. And there's like, it's like this endless rabbit hole. This guy who sort of – I had really only heard the name. But now all of this stuff of that he did is sort of this endless exploration and whatever how it relates to that previous issue. God, who knows? But anyway, uh, there's a great, great TV show. Um Anthony Newley, Burt Bacharach, I think it's the Burt Bacharach show, but uh, Anthony Newley and Sammy Davis Jr. are on it, and it's such a great show. Yeah, Burt Bacharach's TV special, 1972. Yeah, there's this one YouTube user that is a huge Anthony Newley fan and has been uploading so much stuff, even recently stuff i i definitely have the Anthony Newley bug, and I just want to see everything he's ever done. This is like an introduction. he is from Britain, I guess. There he is, Bert Bacharach. TV special 1972 with Anthony Newley and Sammy Davis Jr. I think I did play some of this on the-on the show, right? I did play some of the clips from this on the show. Here he is, Bert Bacharach. You think Anthony Newley was a newly added thing in reality? I mean Listen, a theory like this you can go overboard with it. Maybe everything's normal and reality is very stable. <laughs> yeah, right. Please. Please, really? Uh, real stable, yeah, reality is real stable. Uh, yeah, just look around you. Yeah. Anyway, let's hear from Bert Bacharock. I wanna hear when he's like when he's like chatting with Anthony Newley. Well, first he has this conversation with Sammy Davis. Did I play this?
6: My wife and myself, but, uh, Vicky feels the same way. It's kind of groovy to walk in and everybody's so excited about it, but I gotta tell you something. Tony, Anthony Newley, man, he is so bashful about <laughs> I did play this, right? Tony Bird was doing a musical with Leslie Birkins. Yes, it's called "The Good Old Bad Old Days," and they're in rehearsal.
0: And here, here he is talking to Anthony I Newley.
2: I said, "Sammy Davis Jr. is open."
0: That... Yeah, they're doing that that joke thing where they're sort of gently ribbing <laughs> each other. Was
6: something also about a hat? Mm, possible. Anyway,
0: meant... Bert Baca Wow, he outlived all of. them. I mean, these other guys have been dead for quite a while. So, yeah. Burt Bacharach. Yeah, he has a lot of big songs. Anyway. What's his biggest song? Let's go on Apple Music see what his biggest song is. Burt Bacharach. Burt. He Burt. <coughs> B-U-R-T, not B-E-R-T. Right? He He went the U-way. The U-way. Uh, what the hell's going on here? Let's see. his name is like Bach, like Johann Sebastian Bach, but with an a-rock at the end. Bert Bacharach, let's see. Top songs. What the world needs now is love. I think I had a music box that played that when I was a kid. You know those little things you wind up?
6: What the world needs now
0: is love. Is that sort of like, I'd like to buy the world a Coke? In perfect harmony. Let's see if we can find that music box. What the world needs now, in the music box. Let's see. That's definitely a good one for the music box. Here we go from the music box company. Yeah, good, good tune. Uh, that doesn't sound right to me. No, no. How about this one? Talk about technology, man. Music boxes were pretty cool back in the day. You didn't have you didn't have Walkmans or anything. You had to use a music box. <laughs> oh, a musical figurine. Oh, maybe it was a musical figurine that had what the world needs now. Oh, but there's no video on it, so F it. Porcelain music box. A reject music box? What? That could be a big collecting obsession. Children's music box, let's see. It's a porcelain bunch of teddy bears sitting on a, a chair. Nah, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I misremembered it. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Rest in peace, the music man, Bert Bakarak. Anyway, something that also may have been around 1972. You know, like, the concept of, of uh, cute little kids in commercials, like, um was it, again, Mason Reese? Remember, he, he did some commercial. And then there was, uh, what's his name? Um, who was the kid that did My Baloney Has a First Name? It's O-S-C-A-R, right? That kid. And uh, Rodney Allen Rippey, who I think was doing Jack-in-the-Box commercials, Right mikey let's get mikey he hates everything you know little cute little kids in commercials in the 1970s was like a, kind of a big thing they became big stars too like i was researching rodney allen Rippey a bit um yeah he was all over the place for a while just one commercial could do it back then so anyway my father mentioned to me a couple weeks ago that he's like oh you know we tried to get you into the commercials when you were a little kid like four or five years old i'm like, Wait, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, we, we went to this company down by the shore, and they took pictures of you, and he's like, yeah, I don't know if it was legitimate or not, but yeah, I mean. So I could have been one of those little kids in the commercials. Imagine. I, was just, I would be a little five-year-old celebrity in the ni- early 70s. Frankie Nora, right, from the famous commercial. I was a really cute little kid, so, you know, I think I could have done it, but I don't know what happened. Why didn't I get into commercials? Listen, probably better to stay out of show business as a kid. I, I really think so. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, I just found that out. So who knows? In some alternate reality, I'm as big as Rodney Allen Rippey or uh, Mason Reese. Yeah, I think I'll stay out of that club. Okay, I don't want to be one of those, those four. And I could go to Chiller Theater and, and sign pictures of myself when I was a kid. <coughs> no, I don't want to be some has-been-child actor. There is a reality where that happened. And I just found out about it. Great. Great. Anyway. Today's episode is called Future Headquarters. And wow, I really like the show art I came up with. It was a process. It was a process coming up with this show art. So there's a like a light green background and all the graphics are in black. And some really funky fonts on the upper left that says future headquarters. And uh, the overnightscape is at an angle there towards the bottom. And there's an image of all these shapes and structures and buildings and things. So, how did this all come about? Well, I was browsing through some uh, randomly through some public domain pictures, right? And I came upon this. Um, this is actually in... I have to translate this too because it's in Swedish. So this is an image of one of the exhibit halls <coughs> from the Baltic Exhibition in Malmö, Sweden in 1914, the Art, I- Industry, and Craft Exhibition. <coughs> so I recognize this is very similar to as I'm very interested in the World's Fairs, especially the World's Columbian Exposition back in the 1890s in Chicago, which is my number one time travel destination. Once I... Once I get a time machine, which hopefully won't be too much longer, you never know, I would like to go back there, go to that Columbian Exposition. I'm sure that's many people's first choice for a time travel destination. Obviously, not everyone knows about the world's Columbian Exposition, but people that are in, so into time travel that they fantasize about what their first stop would be probably know about it. So the whole place is probably full of time travelers. There's no regular people there. What was my brother telling me? Because he he was watching um, that that a documentary about it, um, the Wonders of the White City, was uh, narrated by Gene Wilder, right? Um, he said that there's a new TV show that takes place there, because there was a murder house, right? Uh, some guy created a, created a custom house with secret passages, so he could like it was supposed to be like a a hotel or a boarding house. But he put all these secret hatches and doors so he could, like, murder everyone in there. I heard that story before. Now they're making a TV show about it because, of course, the people of today are just obsessed with murder and serial killers and everything else. Why don't you just make a nice TV show about the fair? Make a TV show. Uh, here's some people that are going to the World's Fair in, in Chicago. No, it has to be about murder. Anyway, let me see what that show is. I don't I, um <laughs> It's 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 the World's Columbian Exposition. It's not the Chicago World's Fair. That's the actual name of it. 1893. New TV show. Let's see. Devil in the White City. Let's see. Is this Wait, this is news from 2019. Jesus. Devil in the White City will now be a TV series from Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese. It chronicles the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition and the grisly H.H. Holmes slaying in his murder castle at 63rd and Wallace. Hmm. So are they going to be, like, recreating, like, digitally the World's Fair? I I would dig that, man. Uh Uh-huh. Let's see Okay, it's, it's, it's... Okay. It is... Yes. <clears throat> I guess it's been in the works for a while. In 2019, Hulu began developing a series based on the book. Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese are designated as the executive producers of the product, project, along with Stacy Schurr. Sure, I know who that is, sure. (laughs) It was announced in January 2022 that actor Keanu Reeves was in negotiations to star in the series as Daniel Burnham and Todd Field would direct the first two episodes. Production and filming are expected to begin in March 2023, ooh, that's next month, in Chicago and Toronto, with the series expected to launch in 2024. In October 2022, Keanu Reeves left the production without comment. Field left a project a couple of days later. Oh, boy, everyone's quitting left and right. <laughs> Sounds like a troubled production. Anyway, let's continue with our theory here. <laughs> um, <coughs> so this is not that one, but it's a, it's one from a, a few years later in, in Sweden, right? <coughs>
7: one
0: second here. So that's the story with that one. They can't do anything without Murder. And uh, so the image I used is from the Baltic Exhibition held in Malmö, Sweden. I have no idea if I'm saying Malmö. Ma- Malmö. From May 15th to October 4th, 1914. The Swedish World's Fair. Yes. So um, I saw it, I found, I really like that image, especially because it was cropped a bit in, when you go to the page. So I tried cropping it uh, like that. And I'm like, eh, it just looks kind of eh. So I brought it into Illustrator and I started playing around with the image trace function. And when I did, uh, you know, just black and white, it looked pretty cool. So I, I used the slider to find a um, a good spot for you know the the threshold, and get to what you see here, which I really dig that. And I just chose sort of a random green color. <coughs> and then I needed to, to figure out the typography, and I know I'd, I had no idea what it was going to say. So for the overnight scape, I had. Been playing around with this ultra obscure font called Olympiad Black from VGC, and I typed at the overnightscape in it, and I didn't really like the way it looked. So here I took that and I uh, sort of um, made made it lighter, and I think it looks pretty cool the way I finally worked it out. But yeah, that's actually Olympiad Black from VGC, '70s font, looking very strange but very cool. So then I kind of got on to this kick of um in type catalogs there's they set they typeset different phrases in these fonts. So I got to uh, when you want to talk about obscure fonts there's nothing more obscure than the photo lettering fonts because photo lettering had thousands of fonts and I do have a few photo lettering publications here but they never ever showed all the letters. They only showed sample text. Almost every type company in their catalogs would show every letter, right? So, if you had a, an old type catalog, you could recreate the font. But with photo lettering, you can't do that because they never, ever, ever did that. Um, they went out of business and a company called House Industries down in Delaware bought them and had all of their fonts on photo strips. And they started half-heartedly doing some releases, but they only have done a few dozen fonts, and it seems they gave up on it. So there's some warehouse somewhere with this incredible typographic treasure, and if I if I had money, I would absolutely pursue this and try to get all those fonts out there because these fonts need to be seen. As it is, you can only see sam- samples of the fonts, so there's only a subset of letters for every font. I found some cool scans from one of the catalogs, and... Um, so, the word future is from a font called Fuchs Space Age A, and the word headquarters is from West Doofus Casual. Again, these are super ultra-obscure fonts, and it's questionable whether a full showing of these fonts is, is is available to the public at all, right? I don't think it is. So, anyway, that's the story. So, I really like how that looks. And then just the phrase future headquarters, um, you know, I've used the word headquarters or subheadquarters a bunch cuz i think you know like headquarters you know the main meaning is just sort of a place that where a company or some organization is based but the word head with its more you know countercultural meaning is like a expanding your mind taking drugs headquarters right and there was a monkeys album called headquarters as well and head <laughs> um almost like that phrase so future it just looks really good in that font so i figured future headquarters kind of works with that image and that's the story it it does actually resonate with uh, an idea I've been working on lately, which is just um, and I've mentioned this a bunch recently that at some point we're going to have to make a three dimensional place for the overnightscape underground, right It just is a natural progression from a flat internet to a three dimensional internet, a metaverse. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about it, and um, sort of like our future headquarters, right? So, our virtual studio, I really started thinking about some of the parameters of what it would be like. And I actually started looking at how do you build virtual spaces in VR chat, for example. So, it's a lot of work building VR spaces, so that I think would naturally limit, in a way, how extravagant it would be, right? Because I want to create a space for the Overnight Scape Underground that's not tied to any one metaverse or any one game system or whatever. I want it to be a design that could be implemented in a number of places. So it would have to be rebuilt for each new system. Or maybe some stuff could be reused. I don't know. I'm, I have just barely scratched the surface of this process. But I think an important for our purposes, it needs to be built with um, purpose-driven, right? And I think that it would be important to, both because of the effort needed to build something and build it in many different scenarios, I was thinking along the lines of a, a smaller place. I was thinking, like I've thought with Night Station, the idea that it could be sort of like a if there's a, a, a virtual shopping mall it could fit in as sort of like one of the stores, that kind of size. And then also the idea that if it's designed in a certain way, it could also potentially be built in the real world, right? So I think that's part of my design uh, brief, what would you call it, That to, to make it like that. So, right, for it to be a place that is relatively small in size and could be built in the real world, I think the main thing is to introduce... When someone comes there, they need to sort of learn about the Overnightscape Underground and, most importantly, get a copy of the book in the real world or in the virtual world. Um, I think we should also have some studios or spaces there to record in, but people should also be able to go into a space and explore the audio archive in, like, listening rooms and stuff. So, um, again, I've just been, been... started to to do this but it kind of uh, that's our future headquarters so it sort of resonates with that even though those are just random words i found in those type catalogs Capiche, does that make sense yes it does make sense at some level oh by the way today is 209 yes february 9th 2023 uh yeah this is uh, the first of the 3209 holidays each year And, of course, I I was talking to the other of the three weasels, uh, Peter and Brian. We're going to be getting together, not this weekend, but next. Have another weasel adventure. So, yeah, 209, the first. The next one, of course, is July 28th, the 209th day of the year. And the final one is November 19th, 11 times 19 equals 209. So Happy 209. Yes. And I know people might get a little confused about this whole 209 thing, but... This is not something that anyone else is really into other than me and Peter and Brian and this guy Peter Bernard in New York City who independently got into 209 also in 1985 which was when the United States was 209 years old. We still don't know what it means. We do see an awful lot of 209s in movies and references so I don't know if anyone else knows about it. It's not one of those big things like 666 or... 23 or one of these other 420. It's not, it's just, it should be at that level, but it's not for some reason. Anyway. And of course, me and Brian, you know, when we met on the first day of college, we found we both had dorm room 209 in two adjoining dorms, and that was a weird coincidence that started the whole thing. Yeah, so happy 209. And with that, I'd like to say. Thank you for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, and we're here in The Overnightscape Underground, a radio station inside a book. I do also want to, like, for the virtue, it will be inside the book, so the the entrance will be the book. The book will be sort of the entranceway, so you're going to go inside the book to go into the place. Yeah, But yeah, this is uh, A Radio Station Inside a Book. Go to onsug.com to get all the information. O-N-S-U-G stands for Overnightscape Underground. OnSug.com And uh, go to that There you can get all the latest shows You can buy a copy of the book which I have right here A hefty 700 page book From 2021 Which I will be updating uh, This year This contains all the listings of all the shows All the show art and everything The next edition will be a little different But it should be much improved Uh, You can buy it as a print on demand book and I set the price so low. I don't make any money on it because we do have a non-commercial project here. And um, you can also download a PDF of how the book was when it was first released and then also a, the current PDF, which is, is up to date. Every month I add all the new shows in there and continue to improve the book. So just go to onstuck.com. Let's go there right now. You'll see on the right it says Onsub Radio. That is the archive, currently on the Internet Archive, and you can download any show we've ever done. We have over thirteen thousand hours of material, over ten thousand episodes, and we, you know, we have a unique style, and we're very focused on people listening not just in the near, but also the far future, right? That is one of our main things that we feel like this time period is so interesting. And we have so many perspectives that no one else has i think I think really here in the openIC of underground over thirteen thousand hours of material so much of it is uh, stuff you can't get anywhere else there's dozens and dozens of other hosts and shows uh, I think as I mentioned last time uh, last month we did a record breaking hundred and eleven hours in one month, so we're adding a ton of content quality content and let's see right here we have the latest shows uh, fusebox two sixteen p o v chic. We have yeah, post island Monologics, number 17. So Maverick88 is doing is so many episodes great stuff. Um, there's my last episode and uh, <clears throat> Dave in Kentucky uh, with his sermon series. Great series uh, interpreting uh, uh, the Bible in a different way and sort of a uh, from the perspective that it may actually be talking about a relationship between aliens and humans in broad generalities. And we had those prior casters, as I mentioned, so check it out, and you yourself can get involved in a show called Overnightscape Central. Each week, P.Q. River and Truth or Consequences, New Mexico puts forth a new topic, and we're in the middle of a Beatles festival here. Uh, we just did the Beatles' second album with the Beatles, and this week is the Beatles' third album, A Hard Day's Night. So that's a lot to do, and then next time will be uh, Beatles for Sale, yeah. We're going through all the albums, and it's been a great time. I've been really learning so much that I didn't know about the Beatles, and uh, love the Beatles. So if you like the Beatles, and as PQ has been saying, even if you, we want to hear from someone that hates the Beatles too, right? If you want to talk about uh, a Hard Day's Night, and you're like this sucks. We want to hear that as well. A lot, I know a lot of people that don't like the Beatles. You know, they like they're, they're they're overrated. Listen, the one thing I can say in now revisiting all, now just the the early music, they're not overrated. Okay? They are unique and amazing, and I have all, there's all the conspiracy theories about them too, which is very fun, I think. Anyways, check it out. And, uh, yes, we'd love to hear from you. Now, as you may know, coming up in uh, a month and a half or so, uh, episode 2000 of The Overnight Escape, which is going to be the 20th anniversary to the day March 27th, 2023 is the 20th anniversary. and it just so happens to be episode 2000. Isn't that wild? Episode 2000. Isn't that wild? We'd love to hear from you in that episode. I actually set up a phone number. Yes, a telephone number. Talk about going old school. Um, you can leave a message using your phone. And I will be playing all those messages on episode 2000, March 27th, 2023. It's a phone number. It's a California phone number. 949-ONS-20th. Can you imagine? It's a 1 in 10 million shot that that was going to be available on Google Voice. ONS stands for Overnight Scape. 20th 20 TH. th 949 ons 2-0-T-H. 949-ONS-20th. That's 949-667-2084. 949 2084 Leave your message. Leave multiple messages. I'll be playing them there. Your messages are very important to me. The more messages I get, well every message will make me very happy. And if you want to express how much you've been enjoying this show or, or you know, give something back, just leave a message. And I know it's it can be nerve-wracking but whatever. Please do it. Love to hear your message. 949-667-2084. I've been getting some messages, a bunch of messages on. Thanks everyone. I want to hear more. The more the merrier. Thank you. Now, you want to talk about future headquarters. How about the future as in about 15 seconds from now, you're going to be uh, involved in something very cool, very groovy. An audio mashup at some level known as The Other Side.
2: crew
1: hey good looking
2: bmx is his world rad is his way of life
8: world would be a
4: lot better off without kids we're here for the biggest and most important bicycle motocross event ever held L-trap.
2: this is a very important race.
4: race the very finest riders in the country are here riding for some one
2: hundred thousand dollars. Helltrack track in this is town they've uh, got to be kidding this is a joke i huh? really think i get this one. I think I've got a chance I don't want to hear any more about it everyone's on his case get that the paperboy thinks he's a pro he's nothing next to Bart Taylor he's got the style there's something about the way you ride so naturally and he's going to prove it I've never seen this raw determination and talent one kid against the factory hot shots looks like the local Yoko's gonna race after all it's gonna take a miracle to beat this guy against the big money fixers all you have to do is take out that kid against impossible odds. you
1: I'm scared now? This guy doesn't even stand a chance.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's going for it all. <laughs> Rat.
6: world gymnastics champion his assignment a secret mission for the United States government his only weapon himself and that's all he needs combine the discipline the timing and the power of gymnastics with the explosive force of karate and a new, all-powerful martial art is born. Jim Gymkata. Kurt Thomas becomes Jonathan Cabot. He must penetrate a mountain fortress to compete in an ancient savage ritual. They call it the game. But nobody wins. And nobody lives. Until now. When gymnastics and karate are fused, the combustion becomes an explosion, and a new kind of martial arts superhero is born Jim Kata.
8: He is a warrior in a wasteland without mercy. survived where countless others have died Good shot, huh? he has destroyed all that would kill We're him control. he is the only one who can face the challenges of Discover the secret of the statue of stone. The ungodly demons of the dead. The trap of rat spit. The slime ball. The into
9: the dead.
8: The ordeal of the ice monsters of doom.
3: My legs are frozen. I can't move my feet.
8: The attack of the samurai sentinel. (laughs) The treachery of the monster of good and evil. (laughs) A warrior trapped in a timeless void locked in mortal combat against the Overlord to the agonies of strange beasts and lost souls. Prepare for the end. The Dungeon Master. Rated PG-13.
7: In a hidden fortress concealed by impenetrable jungle, dwells Dr. Abbott Reeves, a brilliant but devious scientist with the power to create...
6: Help the android from the cage,
4: Takata. Any malfunctions? I had some trouble with this. It feels like a delay in the neurosynapse trigger. And the will to destroy.
6: Move its memory and dismantle it. It's half human.
7: He must be eliminated. Colonel Nora Hunter has the brains to mastermind the operation.
6: We need a full time mechanic, my friend.
7: Fontana the river rat. What are
6: you doing? I saw this
7: in a movie once when he finds himself in a tight spot someone else has to pick up the pieces (laughs) coochie the ninja he has the martial skills to destroy his enemies the mandroid more machine than man his special powers will determine whether or not they survive. We got robots. We got cavemen. We got kung fu. What is this, anyway? Some kind of damn comic book. It is the most perilous journey any one of them has undertaken. And once they reach their destination, they face the most awesome power on Earth.
8: You don't understand.
7: Soon I shall rule the world. It will take all their combined skills to defeat him. Each one is the ultimate specialist in his field. Together, they are the Eliminators.
4: Are your parents encouraging you to get a college education?
2: Let me kill him!
4: Have we got a school for you? Forget Harvard. Forget Princeton. Learn to earn big bucks fast.
2: Beef plus buns
4: equal bucks. Come to Buster Burger University.
2: Fall in over here.
4: And see Hamburger, the motion picture. We're here to learn to run a Buster Burger franchise!
2: A
9: lot of bull in every bite! A lot of bull
4: in every bite! But you'll get more than just an education at Buster Burger U.
9: Are you crazy?
4: You'll be stimulated by a student body that shares your interests.
9: Real neat.
4: (laughs) You'll find a faculty that really cares about you. (laughs) On-the-job training will get you ready.
2: Can I, Buster, help you?
4: For the fast-paced world of fast food.
9: Well, I ever wanted was to be a Buster Burger manager. America, you're getting burned and hungry. Hungry now, we're not going you
6: You're jumping forward.
4: Burger, America's favorite drive-thru restaurant. <laughs> Hamburger, the motion picture. It's funny enough to eat. <laughs>
9: Enter time not fully come.
2: Magical world that they see. Button your shoe. We're waiting for you to have some fun. Ready or not, you found the spot and here we come. Meet, meet the road is hurrying by. Meet, meet, keep out of his way. And in Linzville, kids will find that every hand has got a face and something to say. Funky Phantom, he's a ghost from history. How we got to where he is is a mystery. Make a stop at Curiosity Shop and find Fantasy is everywhere if it's in your mind. Boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. The Jackson Five are coming to town. So if you're looking for a Saturday morning place to be Step inside the magical world of Baby. of clothes erasing wrinkly panty lines forever all that's
9: left is
7: you two words for you i'm back you made my first title defense a real memorable one you came in when you shouldn't have been there you hit me from behind with a chair you ddt'd me on the concrete You took me out of wrestling for about four to six weeks. Well, I got a word. I'm going to be here to stay. You come out here as a third-rate imitation of a Scotsman. Well, Roddy Piper, being a friend of mine, went into a little story and he told me, well, I don't know what you're saying. He comes out here, he wants to imitate me here, and he wants to imitate me there. Well, let me tell you something. You're nothing but an imitation. I am the Zebra King. Good evening, friends. This is Horace Batchelor at the microphone, the inventor of the famous infodraw method for the trouble chance. I have myself, with my own coupon entries, won 1,012 first treble chance top dividends. And my ingenious method can help you to win also. Don't send any money,
4: just your name and address. Send now to Horace Batchelor, Department 1, Kensham, spelled K E Y N S H A M, Kensham. Bristol.
5: Sick water the eel cascade outside, of spike and spear, ignored wooden twigs here. Flickering deer, tattered mall. memory, office mates made love to in dream world, gravel, and doorway in commercial real estate. Can penetrate comfortable snap of arboretum and right side up mushroom, motif, soaked in flammable denied lust and earthy young, people in the wood. Electronic retailer said may we have, caprice and theater, strike apart the wood homes of the, smirking air things, and glide down to slow down into the, bare lost ruin of the smirking ones. The iron elevator one was the Get hollow fluid, stain most expensive at the night. Weak non-light green, plastic bags brimming over with electrical future. This, worried memory, world of shark and fist, the ozone of dune, here. The April of this mind of yours. The intense sunlight was unwelcome at Target parking lot. Inside, I saw frisbees and things. Weakness is weird. Coral flavored job. Bunch of violent weeds. Nostalgic. Memories like an arena full of screaming fans. And me there, rock god. They storm the stage. Going where was. Under tiles in discount clothing store. Pulsating weird conduit. And damp grass in front of CVS in a kind of rich town. Sleeping a random afternoon away, like cats. Monster sci-fi vehicle, giant airplane thing, whole city inside, is coming in for a landing. But an airport a world away has pretzels and bottled water, and computer magazines. Being that I was a cartoon dog, I already know how to talk. My daughter in the dream was a celebrity daughter. Shooting Ouija boards with shotguns as jam bands play. My 48 parents dance a winch-pulling dance. Spire, traditional UFO and drug-induced vision, organic, produce on City Street 3. Thrill of Walk, Me and Her, Why is there a heavy world to, make this fail? Clear green plastic and quiet, discounted, computer games still too expensive, door beads but there. little dice, fan is on. The outside world is such a complex, system dancing in such unbelievable precision that it seems dead and inert, but the spark ever seen, several times a day, elusive but the sense that if you just grabbed it, you could, rip away the curtains and see the real deal, the cool world, the hidden awesome original realm, balance the onesta, terrible, dollar store figurines massive, and alive, on parade and on some rampage, samba tastic automatic, misery so cherished playfully shopping center, Sharp, as his friend, ramada in of the past, a&P Grocery Land Forever Voolisk Tinder Aces Ripped Foreign Sub Basement Laurenelli Folk Fire Trance of Foxes and Atoms The Lobby of Hip Hotel Is Bright Mark Stem Paratha U5 Musty Checkboard Soaring Filter Able to Impress Them Heavy Animal Boat Trip Folks Feeling Punchy and Bored Jark Jark They Don't Want the Game Stuck in Time Chalk Just Suburban Center Fear Here Step Back Damn The most mundane stupid bullshit is still part of the totality of the realm. Helicopter land at Healyport June 24, 2004. 502 p.m., Meon Ferry, watching, the only passenger to Pier 11. Night Wanta, Night City Story, amusement areas, airports, factory jobs, sun dawning. Characters with flying ability, sit, on freight trains, make the move, race, etc. Bruising our lips on buttercups. The smiling consultant A magnificent, dirigible two-mile-wide shaped like the helicopter A maelstrom of poorly-focused intense creative brilliance Where is the Jack of Coal? Care about Field When the secrets revealed How do you know it's real? The big game We are people We don't know the mechanism behind it When each of us goes behind the scenes Will it be clear? Easy to understand? Driving around in Cranberry and Plainsboro, Younger me Head full of foggy frustration, think fangs jabbed at world, and the frozen milieu of the rail commute winter. Not that bitter alienated wanderer, glimpsing bits of wonderful home here and there. Some cities, some stores, crafts, meetings, good things, tours, and healthful leisure. Just all sorts of human interaction, he does not want to join in. Wants to remake the world so he's comfortable with it, and rules it. Damn how far away seem the motorhomes, motorcycles families gathering for music and fairs games and sports that way out there it's already okay this place as he slowly snaps out of deep days that dreamer valley school mystical thing clay mcdonald's french fry holder circle of trees occult kids and a smirk and a promise of young adventure dusk and witchcraft and stuff shaking my head trying to grasp it another kind of life only available in dream visions of Sunsets and robots. Elements of it, hanging out with cool people, willing to try things, not stuck in a rut. And just the magical feeling, vague and far away. I don't understand this vision fully. My alienation, my war strategy. Once the home of Thinkfang, called Superior, then, OSOA Week, is of Oblivion a super occult amusement, began 10 years ago today. It lasted till issue 446. February 16, 2003, released February 24, 2003, featuring Thinkfang 1103. Obliviana hung on in one form or another till recently with the end of its last vestige, Bluff Cosm, which occurred with the release of the Overnightscape number 61 on May 20, 2004. About a month later, I gave Superior the new name Thinkfang, and I started with these new ones 10 years ago today. Started a Journey, got deep into delusion, but now I am getting better. Rain and one lane and salty freedom. The tow truck, coming looks like a jester's cap. Our deep fantasy, bland, leisure maniac. I taste the skies above parking lots with magical tongue, pat, the heads of mushroom kids and sulk and sneak in. Darken consumer electronic stores. Yeah, this pure here. Tribal caffeine mazes, digital, marketplace highs. Seems hope for better future is clean and. Dear Before Come Dirtying Lobby Slosh There is a history, and it entertains, on this line is a fun life Just rumbling down a road, bumpy and complicated, like, intricate circuitry and written like novel Think of cloud, expanse, mind all over, a lot of little people and meetings, here and there, maybe back to the road The compartment, of layer upon layer of shopping and safety White morning grey, sun-drenched road, and rainy week Kidcraft sunday long time ago eagle alien guns card game fractals socialize enormity of the nostalgic and visions of girls in musim's latest obsession series of distractions fun and cool and perhaps sadly meaningless wallow in the rising sparks of the old more of a fantasy world all the time defensive and service of comfort zone the illusion of some task being overwhelming when in fact it would be easy to do if you could just do it let us take comfort in idealized visions of the past but the deep annoyance feels bad of the real stuff to make a step forward is good romantic haze is always but reducing it can be a positive step forward in life sometimes the way for you make the drop in lost dream sideways parking lot through the beer forest that gotten fuzz tech drug like indulge creep along and thoughts of bright, people in restaurant. Such promise, that long time ago, what they experienced. Inside a super cool van in 1970s. Think you're glimpsing that thing in all those life memories, made into mythologies. Shake my head. But wait, what, are we talking about here? And saying this is me, see away, and the gravel of endless, shopping center parking lots. The sand in the hourglass. These days. Hot by glass windows. Wow this road is stopping. We, had that thunderstorm drive. Kinda cold, kinda 1988 but, also today. Purity of mind of shared adventure. A cool bridge in the town the hotel was in. Overcast and, some drizzle talk on phone and walk on bridge. Other side, a tourist center, nice place to wait. Vending machines and, museum type displays. Sun is out by the time we leave. A dream of saw blade twilight is food for the cuckoo. Clock bird, I was going, to like snow, people inside, cool fireplace, lost of haze of the metal, find, we're smart to stay here, bridges and food courts and love and overviews, down on, the street outside it's mundane and wet and, we're not the, same, 209 times 6 equals 1254, a note left by me long ago, idea that maybe, 1254 would be a good end point for all this. 14 months and, I am back. Funny thing to have a work like this just in, suspension. Want to do something with it, I did make a, book of it for a little while, but that was long ago, and this, part extends it.